It is Monday, December 9th, and coming up, how the next abysmal season could actually lead to them making positive history. Also, is being the face of a negative ad campaign actually good for an actor's career? We'll discuss that and more. This is The Tune-Up. Good morning. Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I am joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the OG This Charming Man himself. <laughs> it's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? Denny, where are you going to find uh, where are you going to find these new bands? I know. I'm out. I'm all out. Right? You're out of bands. Yeah. So I have a secret for you. <laughs> I've been playing in bands since I was 12 years old. Okay. I'm 39 now, and I've never listed anywhere. I don't have a Wikipedia page. And I refuse to make my own because that's just awful, right? Yeah. If you have to make your own Wikipedia. So I have a laundry, laundry list for you of, <laughs> of plenty of acts that I've played drums in that, uh, that, that it is not sourced on the internet. This is private uh, information coming from the scrolls, the way people used to get information. Yeah. You have to find it on microfiche or something like that. But there's a lot, Denny. There's so a lot of bands. You're essentially crowdsourcing here. You're like, yeah. I'm not gonna do it. But if someone anybody- make me a fucking Wikipedia. I'm like, what do I gotta do? You know? How else do I gotta do? I gotta murder someone? <laughs> Jesus. I feel like you're looking directly at me and like, make my fucking Wikipedia. I'm, I'm talking into over. this mic, just yearning, yearning for validation. Come on. <laughs> So, Denny. Yes. I need to start this program with an apology. Okay. Okay. So, one of the tune up listeners at Nolan Carr on Twitter, someone I recognize, we've had correspondence before. Apparently, during my Amazon rant last week, I had said that mail carriers don't care. Nolan had written me on Twitter, he is a mail carrier, mm. saying, some mail carriers do care with two crying face emojis. I was hit hard because these aren't the people I want to go after. I don't know if you know this, Denny, but I'm a big Benjamin Franklin fan. Oh, really? He's, he's been connected with me my the whole life. Sake. Well, it's like when you're a little kid named Ben, first you are made fun of with Benji the dog. Mm-hmm. Then you were made fun of with Benjamin Franklin. Then by middle school, you turn into Bend Over, which is funny because I once dated an Eileen. Uh, uh, this, this is true. This is true. Um, but I've had this connection with Franklin for a while. I played him in like a first grade play, and I've always been like, that's my dude. Mm. Now, I don't know if you know this about him, but in 1775, he established U.S. mail oh. and made himself the postmaster general. Okay, that's a... It's a flex. And if there are maybe, if I could do my Mount Rushmore of American institutions, the U.S. mail system would be way high, possibly number one. They might be the only one who's never offended me and never pissed me off. It's like, you know what? Like, my mail always comes. Every time I put it in the box, it always goes somewhere. In Jersey City. Like, yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. And, and I have uh, a bone to pick on. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> We're not talking about Amazon. This is my point. This is my point I'm getting to. So I have a deep respect for you, Nolan, and all the mail carriers of America. And I want to clarify my point that my hatred is reserved for the third party guys and women driving around in fucking zip car vans throwing Amazon packages on people's steps with no regard. You are not the problem. 
I deeply apologize. I see what you're doing. It's the holiday season. <laughs> you're trying to make sure that the presents get from point A to the Horowitz household. Listen, Denny, this is from the goodness of my heart. That's where this is from. All right, Benny, because it's impossible to go to, from cold takes to hot takes, so I think we already kind of did that attacking the U.S. mail carrier <laughs> on my end. It's time for our don't fuck this up person or thing of the week. Look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. And the last thing I said to him, I said, look, man, don't fuck this up for me. Don't fuck it up. Well, I'm going to bring someone back. Old Daryl Morey, who's gotten himself into some trouble. I don't know if you've heard the last couple months with uh, some tweets about China and other things like that. Now a story came out this week that not only uh, did he trade Chris Paul out of nowhere last season, about two days prior to trading him, he had promised, made a deep vow to Chris Paul that he wouldn't be traded. Now the first thing that happened... uh, after Mello was let go from the Rockets, was calling Chris Paul into a room to see if it was him who did it. Daryl Morey is kind of creating a uh, a vibe of, of shadiness and a little underhanded stuff around his program that I think is going to hurt him uh, trying to sign free agents in the future and stuff like that. And as a caveat, the Chris Paul led, I don't know if you say led, I don't know if he's the number one guy there, but he's a big part of it, obviously. Oklahoma City Thunder are now currently the seventh seed and could easily see the Rockets in the first round and uh, bringing this narrative to the uh, to the forefront for the playoffs. So, Daryl Morey, you're, you're fucking it up a little, maybe. And bringing it to the foreground of the Knicks conversation we're going to have in a little bit. That's right. That's a tease, That's folks. That's right. My don't fuck this up person of the week is your boy. LeBron James, but not for anything basketball or Space Jam related. Bronny. But his company, Bron, all caps, by the way. That's some George Foreman <laughs> shit calling it that. Is producing the new Ghostbuster Afterlife movie. The trailer debuted on the internet on Monday. And I just gotta say, I don't think we need this. In the era of streaming, why do we need another chapter of this brand? The trailer dropped on Monday and did not feature Dan Aykroyd or Bill Murray. Okay. Heck, it didn't even feature Kate McKinnon or Leslie Jones. Not Ernie Hudson. Oh, my gosh. But according to the IMDb, all three of the guys are in the movie. Okay. So I will reserve judgment until then. But I don't know. Because it allegedly doesn't feature them prominently. I just think it's impossible to capture what the original one was able to do. So let's leave the ghost traps hidden until we come up with something worthy of honoring Harold Ramis' legacy. All right, Benny, to the hardwood we go. First topic, Madison Square Garden is on fire, and over the weekend, the Knicks fired, (laughs) or let go, however you want to put it, David Fisdale. The futures of Scott Perry and Steve Mills are very much up in the air. Ian Begley of SNY is reporting that Knicks Brass is, quote-unquote, obsessed with getting Masai Ujiri to New York. Becky Hammond is interested in allegedly coaching the team. A lot of angles here. Benny, what do you make of all this? Is it finally time for the Knicks to tear it down and start fresh? Yeah, I mean, firstly, I want to talk about the firing of David Fisdale. Right. Uh, let him go, or made made redundant, mm-hmm. as they say in the office. I think that's a really <laughs> nice way to, to fire somebody, make them redundant. But I think if you asked me two weeks ago, I would have told you, why is it David Fisdale's fault? This is awful roster construction. We've even talked about it on this podcast before, about the issues the Knicks gave anybody working for the Knicks going into this season. And I think any... Uh, basketball analysts kind of saw the same exact thing and were, you know, slapping their head a little bit as to what was going on. But at some point, 
in uh, late October, early November, I think Fizdale started poking management when during an 0-5 streak, he brought ninth overall pick Kevin Knox uh, to a five-game run where he averaged 10 minutes a game, and it subsequently led to a do-not-play against Philly on October 29th. Now, I think like that's where the disconnect probably started with Fizdale was you know, I can understand his instinct as a coach to go out there and give the minutes to the team that's going to allow you the best chance to win. And at the beginning of the year, they were fighting and they were clawing. And you're like, I don't know, do they have enough to maybe scratch the bottom of the playoffs or something? Quickly, that went away. And if this year became anything about anything besides for building the young talent of Robinson, Barrett, Frankie Smokes, Kevin Knox, all the high picks that is kind of the only good work Steve Mills has done in the last couple of years, then what's the point of this season at all? Right. Um, the Knicks are in that unique uh, spot. It's actually, for once, not the ugliest job to take in the world. <laughs> they have a, a core of young players that are promising. Uh, they're not bogged down to any huge contracts that, that could, you know... Um, not allow them to go after free agents. And I don't understand, and I think one of the reasons it's becoming increasingly frustrating for Knicks fans is they're watching what's happening over the river. And the Nets did something where you went ground up. You know, Sean Marks, you know, half the time you don't know who the fuck Sean Marks is because he's, oh. he's not making the kinds of headlines that, that a GM should be making. Right. All he's doing is making decisions that are about roster construction. And, and even Kevin Durant said it at the beginning of the year. The reason the Nick, excuse me, the Nets were attractive was because they had already built something and a ship that you could already jump on, not a ship you have to create. And I think that's, um, uh, that's the issue that's been going on over there and the reason Fizdale's gone. Now, here's kind of the difference. There's, now, there's a lot of organizations in the NBA, and there's a fundamental difference between the good ones and the bad ones. Yeah. In a bad organization, you have something like what uh, Mark Berman of the New York Post reported of the reason why them thanking David Fisdale for his service took so long is because <laughs> legally they couldn't yeah. figure out the his wording. Yeah. What good organization in any walk of life goes through that? So that's... That's kind of if, if that's the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole lot more from the bottom down. But the interesting thing about the Knicks at this point is they want Masai Ujiri, who ha- ha- seems like he's been linked to every unfixable situation imaginable. Yeah. And like we've talked about before on this podcast, prior to getting Kawhi Leonard, Masai Ujiri was almost kind of a lame duck in Toronto. Yeah, he was in trouble himself. So yeah. he's finally got himself in a, in a cozy position where he could be for a long time. And when you're in one of these kind of positions, either a coaching position, a management position, it's about trying to stay there as long as possible. And Toronto is a position that he could pretty much have, unless it goes south really badly, he could be there for life. It's true, but I mean, I think that sometimes when people of a normal disposition, like you and I, yeah. uh, will hear a story being like, hey, you're great up there in Toronto, right? Things nice and cozy for you. You got a good career. I don't think we recognize sometimes the bravado and ego yeah. that's just part of these people like, sometimes. I could save the New York Knicks. Exactly. Like, and, and, you know, the interesting thing is, like, he actually could walk into a situation with a lot of options, mm. which um, I think is is the one reason now I'm actually scratching my head is it being a, a possible reality. But that being said, there is nothing but conjecture about Ujiri's interest in the Knicks. There's nothing solid. It's all like 
he said, she said, no one has anything concrete. So the idea that he even wants to come is uh, it's still far fetched. And Steve Mills has been such like a career Knicks guy and stuff like I could see the Knicks doing something stupid like keeping Steve Mills and hiring Becky Hammond <laughs> like a first time coach just yeah. walking into an awful situation. You know yeah. what I mean? Like like I'm rooting for Becky Hammond. I want Becky Hammond to get a job and yeah. I want her to succeed. And that's the reason I don't want her to go to the Knicks right now. Yeah, because that that's what's what the fuck's going to happen. Exactly. There? Like that's not a good situation. Shh. I got the perfect guy for the Knicks. Everybody knows it. Bring Mark Jackson back. Oh, no. You have to. You have to. He's local. He's a God's man. He doesn't care what you say about him. Why do you want to ruin Mark Jackson? He's got enough issues going on. He's the only one. He's the only place where people still fundamentally love him across the board. That's right. And you want to make him coach the Knicks? That would buy him a good... Six months? A year and a half for Mark Jackson. When did Jackson? the New York Knicks become like coaching Chelsea or Man City where you're fired if you don't win a trophy within six months? It's crazy. It's uh, insane. It's the only one. You want the job, Danny? No, but I do work with somebody who may. Is Sam that- Mitchell oh. has been linked to the job, the 2007 Coach of the Year. Okay. And you know, I think Sam, he's been looking to get back into the league. And yeah, I think he could be a really good fit for them. Maybe not as a, a long-term fix, but he could at least kind of mend the yeah, fences. He, he, he's, an, he's an experienced guy. So there's one potential name. I could see that. Do you think at this point blaming Dolan for this is a little bit of like a, a wash narrative? No, I don't because those crazy press conferences where they throw Steve Mills and Scott Perry behind Two guys behind one podium, not even sitting, they're standing. All of these haphazard appearances that he does on the Michael K show, this is all from him. Mm. This is all from, from the top down. Like, you don't think those guys want to get in front of the media after poor performances like that. James Dolan is like, go fix this. And he's he kind of just expects all of his problems to go away just by that. See, the problem here... Okay. He's like, I got band practice. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I'll, we'll work this out in the morning. <laughs> but the problem with the entire Knicks organization is to have quality, you need to hire good people. Yeah, and yeah. this isn't a ZipRecruiter ad, I swear. I know most podcasts you listen to, this would be like hiring. I don't. No, but he hired... Need a new director of coffee? <laughs> <laughs> He hired Isaiah Thomas, who who probably at this point is a director of coffee somewhere yeah, outside of his be. NBA team. Blue bottle somewhere. And then he hired Phil Jackson. Both of these guys, number one, Isaiah was like, I'm gonna coach the team. That's how good yeah. I am. It, you brought up hubris before. Phil Jackson wanted to do it working on a part-time basis. Yeah. And then you bring in these guys who really tried to do the best that they can, but there was so much interference because I think Dolan listens to a lot of the people around him in the Madison Square Garden group, a lot of them urging him to sell the team to different mm-hmm. people. So I think there's a lot of voices. Meanwhile, it's completely erratic what Dolan's doing in Inglewood. I know we've talked about that before, <laughs> how he's trying to stop the Clippers from having their arena. So I just, but James Dolan's got something going on. He, he has too many irons and too many different fires. And I don't think. I think that's the main problem with the Knicks is that there's to run the Madison Square Garden company to run all of that you need to like be able to delegate yeah. and he's delegating just not very effectively. That's true. All right, Benny. Next topic. Let's head to Milwaukee, mild stopping grounds, and the Bucks 
topped the Clippers over the weekend. A resounding 119-91 victory. Giannis led the way on his birthday. The crowd at the Pfizer Forum chanting happy birthday. It was a love fest. Beautiful. Keeping Giannis in Milwaukee. They're Career. trying to make him as, as, as happy as possible. But right now, the fear Bucks the deer. and 3 Fear the deer. <laughs> Bango. Oh, my gosh. All day long. Don't... So the Bucks topped the Clippers, 119-91. A lot of people consider, you know, Bucks, Clippers, Lakers, top three teams. How big of a statement was this for Milwaukee? And, wait for it, are they the best team in the NBA? Almost. Oh. Almost. Oh. I'm not willing to make this call yet, and I'll tell you why. They're probably the best team in the NBA. But they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Last year. They didn't win the Finals. Uh-uh. Uh, and you can't just deem a team the, the best team because of, because of a streak like this. Now, they beat the Clippers in L.A. earlier in the season. No Paul George, also no Chris Middleton, so maybe not the best barometer. But I want to look into this current 14-game win streak they're on because this is the reason people are talking about the Bucks as the best team in the NBA. Now, during this 14-game win streak, we have a nice win at Oklahoma City, 20-point win at Indiana, and then wins home versus Portland and Utah. Those are really the only significant games out of the 14. Yeah. And uh, the last loss they had was on the road versus Utah. And since then, they've had two against the Bulls, two against the Hawks, one against the Knicks, one against the Cavs. Those are all part of this 14-game streak. So those are the teams that they should be beating. And uh, I think the great thing, we've talked about it on this show before, too. Giannis is doing the real load management, <laughs> proper load management, which is beat the team so badly that you don't have to play the fourth quarter. Exactly. That's the kind of load <laughs> management I like. Um, he has, he's played in 23 games, and he has 21 double-doubles and two triple-doubles. He hasn't gone under once this season. I mean, the guy's an absolute nightmare for anyone. And uh, everyone keeps talking about this three-point shot. He's shooting 31.5%. I mean, you jump that up one percentage point, two, a couple mm. bounces. That guy is a average NBA three-point shooter, yeah. which makes this whole thing just insane. Right. Like, because if that thing actually... I mean, I've been seeing pull-up threes. Like, if he can do that, fuck, man. We're, <laughs> we're dealing with a proper unicorn that just can't be stopped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even Luca. Everyone talks about what a great shooter he is. He's only shooting less than 33% from three this year. Just high, high volume. So I think people are making a big deal out of that. Giannis is right now the best player in the NBA. I don't know how you could say otherwise. But I think the true test is coming soon. My boys, who you know I had predicted it's the early season. Finals favorites, the Lakers. They have a, a game December 19th, home versus the Lakers. And if uh, both squads play healthy, I think that that could be the determining game of, of who, who the king of the NBA is right now. Imagine if they, if they did... They're all going to DMP. Like load manage. They're all like, going to do it. Because they might. They, they don't want to see each other they may, yet. Yeah, because yeah. a, a lot like what the Clippers did with Kawhi when the Bucks played them the yeah. first time. Like, you know, they're all creating their scouting reports and, and all that stuff. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if you saw one of AD or LeBron sit that game... Right. Almost as a psychological way to tell the Bucks, you've never seen us full. Mm. If you see us in the playoffs, you've never seen this version of yeah. us. And, and it could be a strategy. I wouldn't be surprised to see it. By the way, the low-key dislike the city of Milwaukee has for the Lakers going back to the 70s when they oh, took Kareem. Took it's deep. It's yeah, deep. Yeah, People, yeah. 
So that kind of transferred over to That's the Warriors true. for a little bit because you know your whole California connection. You forget about but that. I, I, I think How old do you have to be at this point to still be burned by that? Sixties, fifties? I'd say you know, like I'd say that that there's some kids in. When like, did that happen? Late seventies? Yeah, that was like seventy. Well, yeah. the one, yeah. Okay. So that was like mid seventies. So a fifty-year-old guy could be yeah. still pretty pissed yeah, about could, that. Could sure. still be pretty pissed. Yeah, well, sure. A Let's be honest. A fifty-year-old guy in Wisconsin stopped watching the Bucks in about right after like Ray Allen left and didn't watch oh, him for fifteen stop. years and is now back stop. on the bandwagon. Fear the deer. But they're huge Dante DiVincenzo fans. <laughs> they are. But it's funny. Contrary to this game, I still think that come the playoffs, I still think the Clippers are going to be the better team just because they're deeper. Sure. And that pains me to say because you know how much I love the Bucks. But I think that they still have some areas of concern that that they have to work through and i it's like how can you say that they're 20 and and three right now but there's just been elements that still haven't looked as crisp as last season and last season i really thought was the best chance to win a title that they've had in some time so i'm not worried but it's just something to be prudent about uh you can see yes eric bledsoe has always played well in the regular season yeah. and he's playing pretty good right he's now playing pretty well but yeah. like postseason man he's sure. like He's the new Kyle Lowry. He, he's like a much point. better J.R. He Smith. He's, he's Kyle Lowry four years ago. Yeah. You know, he's that guy. You know, you know he's going to give you that, those, kinds of, those kinds of performances regular right. season. You know what he gives you in the playoffs. And it's, it's up to him to uh, reverse that narrative now. The way that Wes Matthews has fit into this team, the way that Dante DiVincenzo has really embraced his elevator role, has really been, been promising. Mm. The Lopez George Hill's been great. Been playing, Robin's yeah. been great. And Sterling Brown giving good minutes. They've nice been team. getting Chris Middleton back, has, has, has been huge. So do they miss Brogdon, who's playing at, at an all-star level? But my my argument in, in the whole Malcolm Brogdon that they should have kept him thing, which I believe in, but I don't think that he may have had a chance to get to the all-star level with the yeah. team in Milwaukee. There's there's a lot of holes in Indiana that he's needed to fill those minutes with. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Brogdon is having this kind of season in Milwaukee. There's no chance. All right, Benny. We've reached the halfway point of the podcast, which means it's time for a dollar slice take of the week. So I want to I want to go off of last week's dollar slice where I brought up some sweeping changes to baseball <laughs> to make it more entertaining. One of which that I've found has has uh, seemed to gain the most traction has been the roaming infield defender. Mm. Now, I got some text messages from people very curious about how you would implement the roaming defender. So this is what I came up with. Okay. Based on the principle of baseball where the field is the field and you can position yourself anywhere you'd like, I think the starting point has to be a minimum 15 to 20 feet away from the base runner, either in the out, probably starting in the outfield so you don't disturb ground balls. Yeah. And once the ball is hit... He's a mad dash for the player going for the other base. Mm. Whoever gets there first, you know, and if you happen to catch him, you have to uh, knock the roaming defender down to get there. So, Colin, thanks for listening. He's a Mets fan, by the way, so let's give him as much love as possible. Let's well, hope he may Carl have a new owner. He may have a billion dollars. Yeah, he's, to be he's, yeah, he's got a, a billion-dollar pocket and Carlos Beltran, so <laughs> we'll see how that works out. But, Colin, that, that's what I'm thinking. Let me know how, uh, how you think roaming defender will play out. My dollar slice take of the week, Benny, I want to ch tweak how we do championship parades in this country oh, a little tell me bit. How. 
Tell me how. I think if you are a city that has a body of water, or like a river, like a Chicago, sure. why do you need to drive down the street? Get on a boat, have a cruise, bring out the biggest yachts, decorate them up, make it a real spectacle. You can have fireworks over as you go down. And I'm, I'm inspired because I was in D.C. this past weekend sure. and they had this Christmas light parade where people decorate their boats and they go down and it's a big spectacle. There were fireworks. Imagine that. Like, during, heck, shoot off the fireworks during the day. You have all of these, these huge yachts. You know, people can flex a little bit. I really think it's a good thing. And then, if I can have two slices today. Okay. Ballparks. Yeah? They're busy most of the year. Sure. But in the Christmas season, hmm. there is an opportunity that I also discovered when I was in D.C. So, the Nationals... Not only are they winning the World Series and Championship. Are they winning the Christmas Wars? They're have they have this event there. It's called Enchant and it they have it's like a ice skating maze and it's decorated for Christmas. The lights are up, all that stuff is going. Mm. You can skate through, you can walk through. They got the Christmas markets. So there is additional revenue so if the NBA wants to take notice here, I know we're, we, we had a lot of conversation about how are they going to make up the games. Do, do Christmas stuff. Do seasonal. Heck, have conventions during the game. Just any ways <laughs> to get more revenue for them and in, increase the fan experience. No, but the, the Enchant during D.C. and Nats Park, it was all lit up. White lights. Beautiful. I got, I'm taking a picture of Denny. Doing Baby this shark in front of a Christmas tree right now. This is a Christmas oh, endorsement. See, I thought I thought you were focusing in on this Nats World Champion Baby Shark. So, but I I love I love the turning ballparks into something festive. That's By the way, fun. The Padres do something like that. I they love turn it. it into a golf course. It's fun. Yeah, might as well. I mean, Yankee Stadium turns into a goddamn soccer arena. You know, during the off season, <laughs> so we can't do it there. Allegedly, but uh. Um, I, I'm having a hard time seeing your first one. I, I don't think uh, there's two problems with the yachts in Chicago. A, I don't think the yachts are getting through those Chicago rivers. Uh, those are kind of small. And then I don't see the really, really rich of Chicago just offering their yachts to like bunch of Cubs fans. Well, you, you know, they, that, like... the, the whole part of having a yacht is these people being like, listen, no, 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 no. normals can't go anywhere near my space. No, this is why I have the, this. I go out to sea to be that exclusive. The fans are not on it. The team rides down the waterway on the yacht. So you're putting the team on a yacht. Yeah, so it's okay. like, you know how they're on like okay. the buses and all that stuff in, in New York when they go down the Canyon of Heroes? Those things, make it on a yacht. Imagine okay. Yankees win another World Series, yeah. and they just cruise down the East or the Hudson River, and everyone's <laughs> just on the West Side hot like. That'd be so fun. <laughs> I don't. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. <laughs> anyway, dollar slice take. Yeah, not not, not much thought into it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Benny. Bottom half of the podcast, which means we go to the top of the fold for the latest from news, entertainment, and pop culture. Our first story today, Benny, I'm sure by now you've seen the Peloton ad <laughs> with the distressed woman and her husband gave her the Peloton for her her spiritual journey on the Peloton, <laughs> which is, I always got to laugh when these multi-million dollar corporations 
encourage you to have a spiritual journey sure. that includes you buying something of anyway. <laughs> but actress Monica Ruiz, who plays the woman, came forward and she has finally engaged to let us know what she thinks of her explosive fame. And the commercial blew up on social media. Sure. Critics accused it of being sexist, promoting outdated marital dynamics. Some pointed to the couple's enormous home as yet another sign that the company only appeals to privileged customers. But Ruiz had this to say. I was happy to accept the job opportunity earlier this year from Peloton, and the team was lovely to work with. Of course, you'd say that. You know, they paid her. And it's it's an acting job. Benny, those things are hard to come. I'm, I'm sure, sure there are so many people that <laughs> wanted this job so badly, and yeah. she was the one that yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. He's like, although I'm an actress, I'm not quite comfortable being in the spotlight, and I'm terrible on social media. So, to say I was shocked and overwhelmed by the attention was an understatement. Benny, should she be shocked? And when you kind of put yourself out there creatively like this, and it comes to that kind of backlash, can it be a positive thing? And is it a good or bad thing if you're an actor to have this kind of scandal now on your resume? Scandal, air quotes. Look at this. Yeah, yeah. Scandalous. (laughs) So scandalous. I think in this case... This is a net positive for this woman. Oh, of course. You know, I mean, like, did you know the Mon- the name Monica Ruiz before? I, I said certainly this? did not. I certainly did not. Um, and I think, you know, as much as it's not exactly the kind of attention you maybe definitely want to get, it was in no way her fault. You know, that's the thing that where I'm like, how in any way could you accuse this woman of being out of touch? Like, if anything, she actually played the uh, fantastical male amalgam of what a woman should be really well. Right. Like this is some like bizarre, like, you know, sort of a 1950s pornography fantasy of like what women are like. This woman is she's beautiful. She's uh, so beautiful when it starts and this guy's like you know what you're not quite beautiful enough here's a peloton get to work <laughs> sweetheart like i can't imagine the world in in which this exists i couldn't buy my wife a fucking rubber spatula without getting like without get i can't imagine a world in which i just hand over a piece of exercise equipment to my wife yeah it's just like i don't know in what world that exists and unless like you said earlier unless someone had a christmas list and they were like hun i'd really like a peloton (laughs) besides for that this is like totally inexcusable and as far as the company's uh it, you know, admission to trying to say this is an affordable product. I mean, I think this is where that company, like, obviously is out of touch. Mm. You got to know what you're selling. They're selling to rich people. Who the fuck else has exercise bikes? You know right. what I mean? That's just what it is. Like, they say, oh, it costs $46 a month. I don't know how long that takes because this thing costs $2,300. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently you're paying for about seven years to buy your Peloton. And if you want those classes, you're an additional $40 a month. So that means you know, your initial investment into Peloton riding for the year is three grand, which I could say on average in a small town is about six times the cost of a gym membership Yeah, in a town like this where they get pretty foofy, you know, (laughs) maybe like, you know, three to two times the cost of a gym membership. But like, um, to try to market this as a, as a non, uh, you know, non upscale product is just really out of touch. And I think that's, where the company's at fault. 
But to answer the initial question, I mean, this woman played the part well. Everybody knows about her. She's already gotten work since. She was hired by uh, Ryan Reynolds' aviation gin company to to sort of mock the first ad and the second ad, and she had a good sense of humor about it. And, yeah, I think uh, sky's the limit for Monica now. There are people that have done exclusively commercials their entire career and live in these incredible houses in Brentwood because the money out there in L.A., because the money just keeps rolling in. So this may be such a blessing in disguise for Miss Monica Ruiz because prior to this, Benny, I'm going to list three shows. And and if you've ever watched any of these, I'll, I'll be surprised. Okay. The first show, Baby Daddy. No, no, I haven't seen. About a Boy. I know the film. <laughs> <laughs> and The Game. Again, know the film. What are we talking about here? Michael Douglas? That's a good movie. That was a good movie. For anyone who hasn't seen the Nick Hornby story about a boy yeah, featuring good. Hugh Grant, it's great. If anyone hasn't seen the game featuring Michael Douglas, they should. I'm assuming these TV shows are probably based both off of those movies. I really shouldn't have cut cable. <laughs> well, Benny, speaking of Michael Douglas, the Golden Globes... And the nominations came out Monday morning, just before we recorded this podcast. So that gives us time to dive in to the nominations. Michael Douglas, as you mentioned, uh, nominated for Best Performance in the Kaminsky Method. And that's a pretty, that category for television, for Best Performance by an Actor in a Television Series, Musical or Comedy. You have Michael Douglas, you have Bill Hader, you have Ben Platt for The Politician, which was pretty good. It's on Netflix. Paul Rudd in Living With Yourself, and Rami Youssef from Rami. So, good tough sl- category. Tough, tough category. But I want to scroll down to one particular category because I think in terms of like best comedy, mm-hmm. I think Fleabag's going to sweep it. Yeah. Hollywood community loves that. But sure. the interesting thing to point out about the Golden Globes yeah. is it, 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 it's not any of the academies of television or like the... Uh, it's... Foreign journalists. Is that right? Yeah, so it's it's, it's the foreign correspondence. So, in essence, journalists, the journalist party every year is the only one that you can drink at. So, uh, when you see... So, don't be surprised if a, a lot of these British-based shows have a lot of success that night. Though, it, it's interesting how... The, I mean, are American journalists part of the Golden Globe uh, scenario, or are they exempt? All right, so... Benny, to answer your question, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is a nonprofit organization of journalists and photographers who report on the entertainment industry activity and interest in the United States for media and all that stuff. Uh, the Hollywood Foreign Press consists of about 90 members from approximately 55 countries Goodness. with a combined following of more than 250 million. They conduct the Golden Globes, as we said, so I'm sure there's American contributions to it, but it's a broader landscape here. So, I mean, based on that, if, if there's 55 countries and only 90 voting members, I don't, I don't see how a British bias could be that weighted. Do they have to go public like they do in the Hall of Fame vote now? They should. Yeah, right. They should. This is how you ensure no nepotism. This Golden Globe thing, this sounds sketchy to me. This, I mean, this is like, I'm like, now that we're bringing this up, I'm like, are you Who and are you, why Hollywood do you get to press. judge this <laughs> and out of your 250,000 members 
who are these 90 that were chosen? And why are some of them photographers? Because what the fuck do they know about it? Yeah, I, don't know, I don't know. I don't know if I trust the Golden Globes anymore. <laughs> oh, just some, some more highlights. Brian Cox from Succession nominated. Great. Love Brian Cox. Tremendous show. The category for best performances by an actress in a television series is kind of interesting. You have Jennifer Aniston, that morning show, which I didn't like that. Yeah, I heard it was pretty terrible. It was... Uh, I, I, I hope there's some representation of Big Little Lies. Oh, and further down <laughs> in this, Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon, both for Big Little Lies. You know, it's one of those ones that I like, I was like, sure, I'll watch it with you. And then like by the middle of it, I'm like, yeah, I, I got to see what happens. All right. Uh, some more highlights here. The best performance by an actor in a limited series is pretty interesting. Sasha Baron Cohen for The Spy. Mm. Russell Crowe, that Fox News show, The Loudest Voice, he got nominated for it. Tremendous watch. Your girl Meryl, nominated (laughs) for best performance by an actress in a supporting role, also for Big Little Lies. She was good. That was a good character. Best performance by an actor in a supporting role. It's pretty interesting. You have Alan Arkin, Kieran Culkin from Succession, Mm. Andrew Scott, The Priest in Fleabag. And then you have Henry Winkler, who's been dominating that category for Barry. Right. Barry's really cleaned up at these award shows the it's last great couple show. of years. Great, great show. show. I love it. Pardon me. I did not watch Chernobyl, but Stellan Skarsgård? Oh, another Skarsgård? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then just kind of rounding all of this out here. Best television series drama, Big Little Lies, The Crown, Killing Eve, The Morning Show, Succession. Which one in there do you like the best? Because you've seen Big, Big Little Lies in Succession. The Crown's pretty good, too. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably say, like, <sighs> Succession, as much as, like, I get just, like, angry watching it sometimes because of the general concepts of what these people are dealing with. Yeah. Uh, it's really well done, and it's yeah. really well acted, and I could see it taking a lot of taking a lot of awards. Sure. Do you think that Succession is a comedy? Because I think it's kind of hilarious. It's I mean, in like a tongue-in-cheek kind of way. You know what's you know? funny for me is I really got into Empire. Oh, yeah? And honestly, Succession is the same fucking thing. With, it's yeah, White Empire. Yeah. That's all it is. <laughs> like, they literally stole the fucking concept for the show, basically. I, I, I can't imagine these these, like these situations where there is anybody who runs a company like this or something and is like children fight for the crown. Like, I just don't think this is the way it works on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. And like I watched empire and that went to some, some of the most fun, craziest over the top fucking moments I've ever seen on TV. (laughs) That succession or white empire uh, is uh is i don't know i don't think it holds a candle because that show was fucking hilarious yeah. um it wasn't supposed to be at times but it was fucking hilarious and worth a watch i wish i could re-nominate empire was it oh even ever it was it was it nominated should have been should have been and then best television series this is gonna be a highly contested field you got barry you got fleabag the kaminsky method marvelous mrs mazel the politician Marvelous Mrs. Maisel has dominated this field for a It's a, a lovely long time, show. It's a lovely show. But I think Fleabag, people love Fleabag, especially in Hollywood. And but in isn't the, in Fleabag, the press. But, but Fleabag is, is, it's done, right? Yeah, yeah. There so two seasons. Do right? you think that um, that gives it, not like an unfair competitive advantage, but say in the way that like people don't like giving like MVP awards to 21 year olds, right? right? Because they're like, Hey, this 32-year-old who had another parallel good season, mm. he's probably going to be gone soon, and you're probably going to have like 10 more, so we should just give it to you. I feel like Fleabag might have some advantage there, because they're like, this is the only chance we're going to have 
to ever award this show we quite like. That and also I think they've already awarded in some capacity. I'm not sure if it was the Golden Globes or not, but Barry's won, the Kaminsky Methods won, the Marvelous Mrs. Mills. Yeah, they want so something new. Essentially, like Hot Blood. That show the <laughs> that that show the politician I think is done too. So that and I think people are just obsessed with Phoebe Waller Bridges right now, yeah. especially in the UK. Fleabag's so. like the Luka Doncic of Hollywood <laughs> right now. That's what it is. You <laughs> put up numbers, he's going to come in second for MVP. Benny, on a much heavier note, the 39th anniversary of the death of John Lennon was on Sunday. People gathered to remember the famed Beatle, the famed poet, famed activist. Benny, how do you remember John Lennon? Well... I mean, my my knowledge of John Lennon doesn't go much farther than your normal person's knowledge of John Lennon. Uh, Through the years, I have accrued a lot of stories and met some cool people who told me a lot of cool shit about people. Mm. And John Lennon has been absent from those. Like, Mm. it's like too big and too far away that like I've never heard anything personally. But I found a great story about John Lennon that I want to talk about. I think one thing that people forget is that he was a ripper. You know what I mean? That guy liked to party, and he liked to get wasted, and he did a lot of crazy stuff when he did. Um, I know, apparently, I haven't looked into it too much. I know there's a lot about John Lennon being the piece of shit at times through his life. I, I honestly don't know enough to comment on that. But I did find a funny story. So in 1974... He went to the Troubadour, the famed Troubadour in L.A., to uh, party, have some drinks. He was with Harry Nielsen, and apparently they discovered a beverage called the uh, Brandy Alexander, which is a brandy with milk, mm. which actually sounds pretty good. Yeah, right. Now that you think, like a nice yeah. sweet brandy with milk, yeah. like that sounds kind of nice. And <laughs> apparently they were so drunk and he was so unaccustomed to this beverage that they heckled the Smothers Brothers, who were performing... <laughs> So badly that they were thrown out. In the melee, apparently he did strike some people, but lost his glasses and didn't know who they were. So this is the kind of melee he used to cause. Now, the funniest story was about a month later, he was thrown out of a different uh, concert at the Troubadour. It happened again. And apparently he was so wasted that he put a sanitary napkin on his head. And as he was walking out, the waitress who he didn't tip... He asked, do you know who I am? And this woman said, yeah, some asshole with a Kotex on his head. (laughs) And that's where I just like, oh, man, I wish this waitress was alive and I wish we could talk to her because that. Oh, what a fucking burn. You burned John, classically burned John Lennon in 1974 and people are still talking about it. Good for you. All right, Benny, we're running out of room on the podcast. It is time for our token meme of the week. You done messed up, A.A. Ross! Hey, hey, hey. The whole summer's been an ongoing meme video. Uh, <laughs> and let's get it going. I got that, 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 that big trash bag, Tyson Fury, who I don't know if you saw his Instagram post sitting in his, like, fucking little shitty living room with uh, boxes everywhere and all this random shit on the walls and him talking... Uh, a gross amount of smack to Deontay Wilder, who I don't know if you know, has knocked out 41 of the 42 people he's ever been in the ring with. And I have a feeling this is going to get A-beat in the social media world uh, once this fight happens, once Wilder knocks him out of the, <laughs> the park. And and this uh, braggadocious video of Fury 
screaming all sorts of stuff. I, I have a personal problem with this guy anyway for just being kind of a dirty asshole. And uh, I really, really want Deontay Wilder to smoke him in this fight and then someone make an awesome meme of uh, him talking shit and right next to it, him getting beat up. <laughs> My token meme of the week is Steve Harvey. <gasps> what? He messed up the Miss Universe again. Again? He confused no. uh, Miss Philippines with Miss Malaysia. Oh, no. Come on, Steve. Steve, Steve you had your second chance. <laughs> Who even gets a second chance yeah, from right? that? I think the Steve Harvey train. I'm going to be the one person in America that's like, stop the Steve Harvey train. I'm with you, Daddy. It's gone too far. It's gone way too far. I want a ticket to this train. All right. Plenty of ways to get in contact with this show. You can email us at thetuneuppodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, at thetuneuphq. You can follow him on Twitter, Benny Horowitz1, number one in your hearts, number one in your minds, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, anything else? Everybody uh, have a great week, and everybody love everybody. This has been The Tune-Up.